and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 139. I'm Brooke McCullery. Thank you for joining us. And it is us today because we are providing your ears with a host for. <laughs> Just your ears. Just your ears. None, like none, nothing none, else. None of your brain. No. <laughs> none for your brain or your heart. Just your ears alone. For your ears. Mm. For your ears. That should be like a tagline for a business. <laughs> <laughs> so today we've got some cracking questions like normal. Um, and is there any other, before we get into dive straight into the questions, yes. are there any particular announcements which you would like our listeners to know about? Just very briefly and kind of short notice, but if you're in Sydney and if you're around on Wednesday, the 9th of March, sorry, 8th of March, mm -hmm. I will be having a little talk at uh, Cornersmith, the cafe and picklery in Marrickville. And uh, Jamie Edwards, who was actually a guest on the podcast a few uh, months ago, is going to be you know, asking me some questions about Destination Simple and hopefully I'll get a chance to answer some, uh, some other people's questions. So if you're around, it's free. It starts at 6pm. You just need to book your space um, via cornersmith.com.au or head over to slowyourhome.com slash 139 and I will link straight to uh, the ticketing page there. But yeah, I know it's short notice, but if you're around, I'd love for you to come and hang out and say hello and um, yeah. Party on. Party, party on, Wayne. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, because the questions are that good, I reckon we just get into it. Sounds like a plan. the first thursday of the month it is and we are doing a hostful that is correct and the first question where are these questions from by the way uh they're from facebook are they they yeah. are so uh last month i put a call out and i was inundated with and with questions from people so this is from that that same batch yeah but every couple of months i put out a, a call out on facebook for questions for the hostfuls. So head over there and, you know, submit yours or feel free to leave yeah, one in the comments anything. of the blog. You can and do it. You could you could provide... You could send it by carrier pigeon Exactly. That's what I was about to say. Smoke signals. Yeah. Um, Morse code. That would be fun. But Sibylla didn't. She sent it through Facebook. She did. She, yeah. She's a normal person. Yeah. And she's asked, what impact did slow living have on your finances? It's a really good question, actually. And I've really avoided talking about finances too much because like a lot of people I find it I don't know confronting and uncomfortable to talk about money but I also think it's really really important to talk about uh, our finances and, and be just honest about them I'm not talking about you know oversharing or anything like that but just facing the reality of, of finances and the fact that we all have to deal with it we all sometimes have to juggle income versus outgoing expenses and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So what I will say before we answer the question is go and check out Kate Flanders stuff. She's just a brilliant money genius. And she specifically uh, writes about mindful mm. budgeting. She has a mindful budgeting planner. I will uh, include a link to that in the show notes at um, slash 139. But she's, she's like my go-to. She has a podcast with another friend of hers, which is brilliant. 
but go and check out what she has to say about it first because she has a lot of practical insights. She's actually been doing slow experiments this year and one of them has been slow money as well. So, oh, really? Yeah, really cool That's stuff. That's awesome. I must admit that finances for a long time was always put on the back burner for us in, in being able to address it on a personal finance level. Yes. Just everything from budgeting through to management of accounts and all that sort of stuff, we really... Which is funny because I've worked in financial services for most of my career, and it's like I'm, you know, I write all these media releases about providing advice, <laughs> and I don't take it. It's like the painter's house is never actually painted. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we, it was probably three years ago. Sat down, we reached a crisis point with our finances. Mm-hmm. We were like we were fine, but we were just spending more than we we're earning regularly, like consistently. And we sat down and had a really highly uncomfortable conversation. We put everything on the table and uh, we, we started budgeting. When we first got married, we had a very strict budget because we had a really tight income. Um, we had a mortgage and we were both, like, both in fairly junior positions at work. We weren't earning a heap of money. No. So we were really quite good. We had this envelope system. And we oh, just used cash. That. Yeah, we just had cash. So we withdraw all our money, pay our mortgage, obviously, and withdraw all our money and pay mm. everything with cash every week. And it was fine because we're on top of it and it was, it was great and we were mindful and we had to juggle, shuffle things around and eat baked beans sometimes. And it was, that was mm. great. But then I think we just lost sight of it and just started doing what we felt like we wanted to do, really, financially. Yeah. So a few years ago, we sat down and had a very, very in-depth conversation about it and basically went back to a system that worked for us where we started paying attention to what was going on both in our income and also our expenses started looking realistically at what our expenses were not what we thought they were or what we hoped they were that's very true you know that we would spend more money on um you know going out or Mm. entertainment or just random little miscellaneous purchases our entertainment budget was so big wasn't it ridiculous yeah Yeah. um but we didn't think that it was until we sat down and and actually noticed that it was yeah so i guess to answer your question as to now we we're much more mindful of the way we spend our money and where it goes uh and as a result of living like a more materialistically simply simple life we just don't shop. We don't buy things unless we absolutely need them. And I think we've both kind of swung so far to the end of that spectrum that when we do need to buy things, first of all, we put it off for as long as possible. But then when we do, we don't take it lightly. Like mm. We really kind of find it a bit uncomfortable. Well, do those big ticket items, yes. Yeah. I agree. And we'll get into There's another great question coming up about clothes. And, yes. And things that we'll get. We'll touch on that as well. But I agree. It's cold sweat inducing stuff yeah. when you have to spend money on so anything. Yeah, really. <laughs> anything is. that's not a holiday. Exactly. I have no problems. <laughs> but that's our no priority. problems. You know, that's what we save for. And you know, probably relatively quite a bit of money on on our holidays. Yeah. Well, our because that's what we prior yeah. we prioritize that. We give up a lot of things in yes, order to be able exactly. to to travel. Exactly. Uh, I will say that we do still use credit cards because that's something or a credit card, not credit cards mm. um, to put big purchases on like flights or, you know, we bought a piece of furniture earlier, uh, earlier this year and it's tied to our frequent flyer account. 
So it, it just helps. Yeah. yeah, look, it's fine. Like I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. No. But what we do when we put things on the credit card is we prioritize paying that off before we make any other purchases. Cool. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not an extra source of spending for us. Mm. It shouldn't be. You mm. know, it's simply a tool that we use that um, enables us to to buy things like that. This is the way I look at it. With what did slow living was that like this perfect solution to our finance problems no do we have a huge mortgage still yes do we have do we have a huge savings account no not really but slow living was never going to solve those type of issues what i do think slow living does is that i'm no longer surprised when i look at my credit card statement yeah that's that's the big there's there's just no surprises anymore and when I used to open up my credit card, I needed to just sit down and have a stiff drink opening it up. Because, yeah, it was really surprising and awful. It, because, we, because we weren't mindful of what we were doing with mm. it. It was just this reaction to, having to, spend, to wanting something we mm. just put on the credit card. And over a period of a month or two months, you've... You lose sight of that and pair that with the fact that the majority of the stuff that we ever put on a credit card, I couldn't tell you what it was. Like none of it was, oh, impo- I know. very little of it was important. Mm. Uh, you know, like, man, what a waste. Oh. What an insane waste. Yeah. So now there just isn't any of that. Mm. There's just none of that happening. We're really mindful of where our money goes. Uh, and we've got a couple of questions that sort of relate to this later, but we, we very closely question our need to purchase anything everything yeah. everything and anything yeah um, so, so you touched my, on yeah sorry. so my quote my my bumper sticker message for this is has it made an impact yes but not as a bigger impact as i thought it would right put it that way okay you touched on our mortgage mm. this is something that we're having ongoing conversations with at the moment mm. like, our mortgage is completely serviceable it's mm-hmm. Relative, relative to the rest of the world, like we live in Sydney, which well, no, on the not, outskirts of not, Sydney. Not relative to the rest of the rest of the world. But if people, yeah, but it's a big mortgage, but completely serviceable. If you know what I mean. Yeah. What do you mean? But what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is that we've been talking about it recently. What life would look like without any debt? Because that's the only debt that we have. Mm. Like how we could possibly change our life so completely in order to not have any debt and not have a mortgage. And that, I mean, obviously that appeals to everyone, Mm -hmm. but that has suddenly become something that feels much more viable to me than it ever has before. Like if you asked me five years ago, what about a mortgage? Like, well, that's what you just have forever. Correct. You know, you just pay it forever. Maybe when you're 65 years old, you no longer have one. But I'm increasingly starting to understand that there are ways, many different ways of becoming debt-free. It just requires a an ability, first of all, and also a willingness to look outside the box. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's We're going to come, there's going to be a point later this year, not that much later, sort of towards the middle of the year where we will need to make a call and it's got to do with this house yeah yeah that's all i'll say okay so let's revisit this in four months yeah but hopefully the rest of what we just said wasn't quite so um mysterious (laughs) (laughs) 
The next question is from Alex and he or she writes in, in attempting to buy less specifically unnecessary clothes, I often get the guilt for buying something and won't take the tags off for weeks. How do you judge if something is necessary and valuable enough to warrant a purchase? And or how do I become okay that maybe it won't be as valuable to me as I first thought and will be just worn once or twice? Mm. <laughs> so interesting that Alex opened up the question with unnecessary clothes. Like I think that's your answer right there. Yeah. Um, I think that it takes a significant mindset shift to see unnecessary you can see unnecessary in one of two ways. Well, Alex is obviously there. Yeah. Do you yeah, know? sure. You know? Yeah. But I think practically speaking, I really like the idea of sitting on on a purchase uh, for like a number of weeks. So if I think that I might need something, uh, maybe I need to update something in my wardrobe, you know, something's getting a bit ratty or mm. worn, then I will think on it for a while. I'm not just going to go out and impulse mm. buy because what I want to do is make sure that the thing that I'm buying, A, is as needed as I think it is. Yes. And B, will work in more than one instance. Mm. Like I don't ever want to buy things that only work with one thing, with one outfit, with one mm-hmm. whatever, because I think that's, I mean, that's where bulk comes in. That's where excess starts to come in. So I think that just you can have something as simple as a no buy list or a 30 day buy list and you write it down, put it in your purse, mm-hmm. say, I need a black tank top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 30 days, if you still need that black tank top, then go and purchase it, you know, and there's a few different ways you can make sure that you purchase well. Uh, and I also think that kind of treating those situations as a problem to be solved rather than a thing to be purchased can be really helpful. Like get a bit creative and think, do I really need this? Is there another way that I can either source this or borrow it or, you know, use something else that I already own in place of buying this new thing? I think those two questions can really help. So for example, this is not clothes, but we had um, two bookshelves in our living room. Yeah, this is a good example. It's a really good example. Mm. We had two bookshelves in our living room and we had our office, which needed storage. And we started looking on eBay and Gumtree and things like that to find just a basic bookshelf for the Mm -hmm. office that we could store our um, audio equipment on, a few bits and pieces. And it it, it occurred to us at some point after looking on eBay for a couple of days that we could probably just take one of the bookshelves out of the front living room and put it in our office because there was stuff on that bookshelf that we didn't need anymore. So we donated all the stuff that we didn't need, brought it all into one bookshelf, and now we have a bookshelf in our office. We didn't have to buy anything. It's unbelievable how good that has made me feel. Yeah. It was great. So it, all, it, all it took, and it, once we realized Just that, thinking yeah, about it a little thinking bit. Thinking about it a little bit more creatively, creatively. and, and yeah. you know, a what if I didn't buy, buy this thing and we just changed this up instead. Mm. So I think that, that that kind of thinking can really help stop those unnecessary purchases or those impulse purchases that we do regret. Uh, look, it happens sometimes. I bought a shirt last year that I tried it on. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Didn't love it bought it anyway and two months later it was hanging in my wardrobe I'd never worn it because I'd put it on and not feel good in it 
and I'd take it off again. And I did that three or four times. I thought, this is just ridiculous. So sometimes you just have to admit, yeah, I made a mistake on that one. I gave it away Mm. um, to someone who actually will wear it. And that's, look, it happens. But I think to do what you can to minimize those, those times is to, first of all, shut down the impulse buying. Uh, and second of all, think about other ways in which you might get what you need without buying. I've got a really, really easy... Well, this is really easy for me, I've got to say. Okay. Because we've simplified our wardrobes so much <laughs> that if we need something, it's only because something has fallen apart yeah. or... It's yep. no longer wearable for whatever reason. So if that happens, we just go out and you buy a you new version it. of that yeah. or similar version. That's it. And that's taken us quite a few years. That's, to... what, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I'm saying previously, yeah, really hard. Until you get your wardrobe in a space that you're like, every single thing I use, sorry, everything, every single piece of clothing I own, I use. Yes. And you use it well and you're happy with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's it. And, um, you know, that's up to you to figure out what that looks like. But then I think once you've figured that out, it's really easy to slot stuff in and not over overspend or overpurchase. Courtney Carver, I'm sure you've, you've heard of the Project 333, but if not, I will link to it in the show notes and go and check that out as well because she has designed this minimalist um, wardrobe experiment. So you spend three months living with three, uh, sorry, 33 items, uh, which in an ideal world will all work together. That includes, um, you know, shoes and accessories and everything. And it's fantastic to see how creative people get with their wardrobes when they have such a small amount. So go and check that out as well. But she also posts a lot of tips on how to, you know, cut back on spending and impulse shopping and stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, check out what Courtney's doing. You've got some really good advice for those items of clothing that you only wear once or twice, and that's about renting. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, and I know you've spoken about it before, but you know those dress. You know, in the in the past, you would have bought really nice gowns and dresses yep, for, for a weddings wedding. or yep. you know that sort of thing. But now you rent them, and yep. they're like top fashion yeah you like know, things like that i would never on, spend money on uh, on trend fashion yeah quite expensive designer dresses and outfits for a wedding or something like that and it's really fun yeah it's super fun to to rent something that i would never normally buy a because they're too expensive and b because they're trendy and they'll be out of fashion in six months time uh so it's really fun to be able to do that and not actually add to your wardrobe and what i also do in a practical manner is i have this just bog standard um, black pencil skirt that I've had for eight years. And it was, I bought a really high quality one and I have worn that thing to so many events because it goes with almost every top that I own and it can be dressed up with heels um, and a nice top and a necklace, or it can be dressed down with a t-shirt and boots. Uh, And I think if you can find something that is your equivalent, particularly for those, times like you said those once or twice wear sort of occasions which are often special occasion yeah. clothes then you can really cut down on that too so that for you that might be you know something might be a little black dress or um you know a pair of really nicely tailored pants but if you can find that one kind of core anchor thing you're going to to have something to wear all the time 
So this is from Jan. So you get to the stage where you've decluttered and now some of your items are getting a bit tatty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when do you replace them or do you keep, or do you rather than keep, because I don't really, repair or mend them if you can? Mm. I'm not a mender. I, I'm I've not, never been. I'm not really a mender. No. I can't sew. No. I wish I could. No. I really wish I could. We have we have asked your mum to mend things for us, which is nice of her, particularly the kids' things. Yeah. Um, so, okay, first thought on this question is mend or repair for as long as possible. Extend the life cycle of the things that you already own as much as possible. I think we've really lost the ability to mend uh, and I'm not just talking about clothes either. Furniture, we don't reupholster. We just throw things out and get them re- and we replace them with mm. something else. We don't fix the chair with the wobbly leg. We don't resole the boots. We don't we don't fix things anymore. And part of that is because it's really hard to. There aren't too many places around that will resole a shoe well or that will reupholster a lounge or fix electrical items, which might only oh, need exactly. one small tweak but they will not do it yeah there is i think a a growing sub section of the industry that is starting to look at doing things like that which i think is fantastic so do a bit of research depending on what it is that you you know you need to potentially replace and see if there's a way that you can repair it or fix it uh if not maybe you can upcycle it or give it to someone who will reuse it in a different way uh, but look, things have a lifespan and when they reach the end of that lifespan, we just have to hope that we have done the absolute most we could to lengthen that and use it as best as possible and then try and um, you know get rid of it in a way that is least detrimental to the environment. Mm. So again, that might be donating to someone or a different cause that can use bits and pieces from it. It also may just be to upcycle or pass it on to someone else in that in that regard. Uh, but then I think when you're coming to replace things, there's a few things that you can do to make sure that, again, you you kind of keep that life cycle of the items yeah, as long yeah. as possible. Yeah. So I think, first of all, focus on trying to get the best that you can afford, the best quality you can afford. Uh, and interestingly, I don't think quality has a lot to do with price. So do let's say you're talking about um, clothes just do a quick Google search for reviews of jeans or shoes or mm. sneakers or, mm. you know, ethical underwear or whatever. And just, just start to get a sense of what is out there, what's good quality, what's worth your money and what's not. Mm-hmm. And then just make the best decision you can with your dollars at the time. So I do that. For, I've done that with things like uh, jeans and I may spend maybe $50 more on a pair of jeans, but they will last me three or four times as long as buying a cheap pair. Uh, and to me, that that makes a huge, huge amount of sense. Huge, yeah. Because you know that also means that I'm able to buy jeans that are ethically made. They're locally made in Australia, and they're from like organic cotton and stuff. And to me, that all of those things matter, and they add up to making my purchase count for something more than just wearing clothes. So I think you can you can absolutely do that. And I think tied into that is making that purchase count for something positive for the world. So. We can talk about that broadly in terms of like ethical purchasing. What that actually looks like to you is going to be different to what it looks like to me possibly. So just ask yourself whether or not, you know, it's important for 
um, you know, fair trade to be a part of it or, um, you know, ethical manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be sustainability in farming. It could be using recycled materials, like whatever it is that's really important to you. Try and make that central to the decision that you make as well. Because I think what I find is when I'm proud of a a purchase that I've made because it stands for something, I look after it, Mm -hmm. which is really important. So we look after things as much as possible to extend that lifespan for as long as possible. Because when I make a purchase of something that I'm proud of, I'm even more inclined to look after it as well because you want it to last. You want to use it for years and years and years. Uh, and I think that that's really important as well because that then leads us to, you know, to doing things as simple as following mm. the label, like the care label mm. and making sure that we wash things the way they're meant to be washed and, uh, you know, look after things the way they're meant to be looked after. Uh, and I think that is a massive change that we can all make, which means we just have to buy less in the first place. You know, something that has stuck with me and recently we, we had to go and buy some clothing for when we were in Japan, we just needed really warm clothes for mm. Japan, and so we were going through, going down and through that through the process of purchasing there. And look, we didn't have these clothes, but we needed them; otherwise, we'd freeze. So that's <laughs> <laughs> sort of why we had to get them. And I think ninety percent of them we purchased uh, from Patagonia, and there were a whole heap of reasons why. But really interesting when we went to the shop, they've got this section. On mending clothes. Yes. Unbelievable. It's awesome. I really love what they're doing. So it's like this, anything you've purchased, um, and this isn't an ad for Patagonia, this is just one of the reasons that I I love what they're doing. Anything you've purchased from there, you can either send in or take into a shop and they will do simple simple repairs on the spot, basically. Uh, And then you can also send things away to have them removed. Nudie does the same thing with their jeans. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then at the end of the life cycle of their jeans, you send them off and they recycle them so they can use the fabric for other things. They can... um, Just fantastic. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So I think, again... But that's all in the research, isn't it? Like you've done the research. That's why... Yeah. 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 Um, You're not always going to have the opportunity to buy from Mm. an organization like that. But I think when you can, it's really important that you do. And I think the other really important thing is to just buy the best quality you can afford because that, that that simply means that you won't have to buy as much. You don't have to spend as much. You don't have to put as much in landfill at the end of the, you know, the end of the day. Um, Yeah. So I think... I think it's a good sign, though, when people start to feel uncomfortable about buying yeah. as well and questioning it because I think that means that you've turned a corner into a life of less and you like it and you're really mindful of every time you need to, to add something back in. I think that's a great sign. It's awesome. Yeah. So the next question is from Sarah. I've successfully ushered all of my children into primary school and have white space for the first time in a decade. I'm struggling with the change in identity this has brought and just sitting with that has thrown me. How does one relearn oneself or discover oneself? I really like this question. This was us 12 months ago. Well, this was me 12 months ago. Yeah. What did you do? You know what? I embraced the uncomfortable. There's no other way of describing it. Hmm. Embrace the uncomfortable. After some soul searching, we've gone through the the process that we went through and it was sitting down talking, what are our goals, what do we want to do this year, da 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 
okay, for all that to happen, this has got to change <laughs> in our life. And mm-hmm. that meant quitting my job, starting a business and having a look back. It's these, it's these circuit breaker moments that are the scariest but the most liberating. Mm. And they're really important. I'm a really, really big believer now in being uncomfortable with decisions you make. Because in the past, I've always gone with the comfortable, always with the easiest option. No, you haven't gone with the easiest option. You've been risk averse. Just comfortable, yeah. Yeah. Like always putting my priorities there. But my my advice to Sarah is, and it's it's the advice from... Chris Hardwick, which is... One of our unofficial mentors. He is, from the Nerdist podcast. And his advice is just go and build your thing or yes. go and make your thing. And that's just stuck with me because yep. he he basically created this podcast, this media empire really, mm. just from one idea that he had and one passion and one dream that he followed. And he just went and did it. And, you know, he was a struggling actor, TV presenter. And it just really stuck with me, that advice. Mm. Well, because it, it it makes sense and it's doable. You know, you just go and make your thing. You don't worry about the rest of it. You go and make your thing, do a thing, build a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. just. And I've got to say, Sarah, you're in the best position now to do it when your kids are in school because yeah. you've got, now you've got the time. Well, she says she's got white space. Yeah, you've got the time for yourself. Yeah. You know, you've done the hard yards. You've. It's time to let them go. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think practically speaking, what you can do, like what that, that sort of look looks like is to start monitoring your inputs, like the things that you bring into your life, the, the books that you read, the music you listen to, the things that you find yourself drawn to. It could be, you know, a blog that you read or a podcast that you listen to like us. Uh, it could be, Anything that captures your imagination or that you find yourself filled up by or you find yourself happy to do. And I think when you start to pay attention to those inputs and notice how they make you feel and start to really separate out the ones that fill you up, there's clues in all of that. Clues as to what you love, what you're passionate about, what you want to spend your time on. And then you, you, you dig down a little further and you find out why. So it might not actually be, you know, the thing that you're doing that's your passion, but it could be the reason behind it. You know, if you love cooking dinner for your family, yeah. for example, that might be about cooking, but it also might be about providing for people or caring for people. And then you dig a bit deeper. And I think it's, look, there's no like magic, magic answer for, for this kind of question. It's like, what you're asking is really the deepest question. How do you learn who you are yeah. and what drives you? Yeah. And that's probably shifted since you've had a family. It does. I think, Mm. you know, and Mm. it does for everyone. I think it's Mm. fine to change and evolve. Mm. And embracing that is a really great way of viewing this too. This is a new iteration of who you are, not necessarily throwing out all of the old, but Mm. going a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, I, I just can't. The single most important thing, my advice for you is just be uncomfortable. Mm. Just be. Just embrace that uncomfortable and cry and smile and laugh and just go through all the emotions mm. because it's really, really important because it's not until you've gone through the 
the the spin cycle of of that that you that my in my belief in my, uh, what I truly believe in is that it's not until you go through all that that you actually are then empowered enough to discover yourself and discover your true why and passions. I think if you yeah if you open yourself up to experience the entire breadth of emotions, the emotions. Yeah, yeah it's it's like it's shockingly uncomfortable sometimes but yeah. it's also so rewarding. It is. So I think the other thing that might potentially help is thinking about your legacy which is something I talk about a bit and this is what helped me to uncover my why you know which is the really big picture things that are super important which have then gone on to help me decide what I want to do with my time so what I did was was essentially write my own eulogy and that proved to be such a massive turning point. You've probably heard me talk about it on the podcast before. But what it did was really highlight what was important to me at a very, very big picture kind of level. Because what I discovered in the same process was what wasn't important to me, which can be really hard to do when you're kind of down in the, the minutiae of life mm. every day. So it might be worth just thinking about you know, your legacy or what you want to stand for looking back on a full life well lived, like what does that look like for you right now? And then, you know, use that combined with this monitoring of your inputs and finding out what it is that fills you up. And you can start to paint a picture with really broad brush strokes to begin with and then slowly, you know, become more detailed and, and as you learn more about yourself. It's such a great question. And Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cassie writes in, other than decluttering, what aspect of slow living do you feel has made the most difference to you in your family's life? I'm early in the journey and I'm discovering with two kids, I'm going to have to give myself grace to mm. let decluttering happen slowly. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. So what do you think? I think that even more, more impactful than decluttering was the act of noticing which is tied very closely to mindfulness. But for me as a mum, really starting to and learning how to notice things was probably the most important thing I've done. And looking forward, you know, from the, the, in the few years since that first kind of discovery of, of what it meant to start paying attention and noticing I can see now that that has led me towards things like my, like a mindfulness practice and meditation and yoga and, you know, writing and creativity and all those things. But back in the day when I was just beside myself with overwhelm and anxiety, I couldn't see what was in front of me. Mm. But what slow living did was introduce me to the idea of just paying attention to the tiniest little things. So for me, it started in my garden and it was just noticing like a flower blooming. I'd never noticed things like that before because I was too, you know, in my own head, too stressed out to actually pay attention. And what happened is I started to notice these things, these really beautiful tiny things. My, my gaze kind of lifted up a bit and I wasn't looking at my feet anymore. I was looking a mm -hmm. little bit up from mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And what happened is every day I just kept noticing and it was tiny things like the light or a bird in the tree or, you know, the way the, the garden had changed from winter to spring kind of overnight. But what that then led me to 
was noticing my kids in a way that I never had before. And it makes me really sad to say that, but I hadn't. You know, I, I started noticing the way they wanted to play with me and the way they held my hand and the way they looked at me and the way it made them so happy when I wanted to play hide and seek with them and stuff. I remember writing about it when our daughter was a, was maybe only two. A hide and seek, I remember yeah. that. And she taught me so much mm. about what it meant to just be in the moment. And honestly, that is really one of the, the, the foundations of slow living to me, just being, just noticing. And you can expand that out and it becomes a mindfulness practice, sure, but that was the biggest change for me because so much has come from it. But it was, it, it's just, it's so rewarding, first mm. of all, and I'm a better person for it in every way. What about you? For me, I think it's the rituals that we've created, mm. the rhythms that we've created. They're the two, yeah, they're like the rhythm of, of life. Like our day-to-day, you mean? Yeah. No. What I mean by it is the little things that we've put in place, like when we're around the dinner table and we say, what was the best part of your day? Mm. And when we have happy days on a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. So it's those rituals, yep. I guess, what I'm trying to say. It's those little rituals that we've put in place that are like a check-in process with the family. Mm. And to do that with kids, it's just fascinating. Oh, you, and it's like just turning you, up. It, it takes it from being something that you probably, Cass, you probably feel like you're the only one on this journey at the moment, but you do those little rituals with your kids and they'll start looking forward to it mm. and wanting it to happen and they'll start sort of instigating it and that that's where the magic happens i think that's when you will find out that while the bedrooms might be full of clutter you're you're already impacting their yeah. behavior you're still you're, laying you're, the foundation you're changing the way their behavior is exactly yeah you're laying the foundation so that for me is yeah the biggest mm, it's really nice thank you <laughs> I like to surprise you sometimes. You surprise me all the time. <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed answering those questions. Me too. Very much. I, I, really... I think we should do this every month. I feel like that's a good idea. We should maybe call it like some kind of fun name. Second reference to Nerdist. I know. You totally borrowed totally that Totally borrowed name. it. So enjoy your weeks. Enjoy Hope... your burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to slowyourhome.com slash 139 for today's show notes. There'll be a few links, actually, Courtney and Kate and a few other bits and pieces that we've mentioned. And, uh, yeah, if you haven't already, feel free to leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. I don't think we've asked for that for, like, a year. Ages, yeah. Um, It does make a difference. It helps other people kind of discover us through iTunes algorithm. Uh, and yeah, it's just really nice to hear in if fact, you guys enjoy the show. Let's all do it right now. Right, Ready? Right now. Okay. Type in this following. Okay. <laughs> okay. The Slow Home Podcast is the best podcast ever. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars? No, it would be awesome. Yeah. Any review, um, we read them all, obviously, and uh, it just kind of brings a smile to our faces. And if you have already done that or you don't want to, that's also fine. You can find us over on Facebook and Instagram. Come and say hello and have a wonderful week. Okay.
Pod Pod.